verses 13 and 17. And as we begin our time in today's passage, we're going to elaborate on the idea that we looked at last week. The question we tried to answer last week was, how do we live when life's not easy? We all admitted that for most of us, that's most of life, right? And we acknowledged from verses uh, 11 through 12 that we were to live a particular way. We're to live in a way that seeks to honor God in our lives and seeks to share the good news with others. And as we continue, as Peter continues to work out that theme, he's going to work it out in several spheres of life. We've already looked at that um, on Mother's Day. We looked at that from chapter 3 with husbands and wives. And, and today we're going to look at it as it relates to authority. How, how do we relate to the authorities in our life? Now remember, this is in the context of when life's not easy. At the outset, I would like to acknowledge relating to authorities is not easy. It's not easy, and, and we can go back to last week and acknowledge the fact that it's not easy because we want to be in charge of our own kingdom and do things our own way. And so today we are going to be considering how you and I relate to authorities. You may be asking why this is significant, so let me illustrate it with with this idea. Have you ever noticed two young boys talking about their fathers? Have you ever noticed that? When two young boys get together, now this is when they think their dads are still cool, right, before they turn into teenagers. When two young boys get together and they begin talking about their fathers, they begin saying things like, oh yeah, well my dad can beat up your dad. My dad's stronger than your dad, or my dad's faster than your dad, or, or, or they begin talking in this, in this competition like, one dad has the, has the one-up on the other dad. And what they're trying to do is a, a, establish a chain of command, right? Establish who's, who's better in, in, this, in this way. They're trying to see who has the most authority. You see, for Christians, it could be easy for us to say, well, God is bigger than the government, so I shouldn't have to obey the government. I shouldn't have to obey authorities over me. While that is true that God is bigger than the government, implying that we don't have to obey our authorities is not something Peter nor God would be comfortable with. Now, I I, want to give you a warning. There's a multitude of temptations this morning as you sit here. There's one where you can be tempted to think this message is outside of you and that it doesn't apply to you. There's another where you can begin to ignore it because it's uncomfortable. And then there's a final temptation to allow this to just touch on all the hot-button issues. That's not the point of Peter's message. Peter's message is going back to last week. He wants them to conduct themselves in a way that is honorable, that others might glorify God on on behalf of their behavior, specifically as it relates to authority. See, during the time of this letter, emperor worship would have been common. They would, have, they would have bowed down and, and worshipped whoever it was that was in charge. Society at large would have seen the Roman government as their savior. They would have, they would have seen them as, as worthy of singing songs to and, and allegiance to. 
The, this same Roman society that they thought was their savior would have been known for their homosexuality, their infan- uh, um, infanticide, their government corruption, their abuse of women, their immorality, their violence. And Christians could have become tempted to be rebellious. On the other side, the Roman officials would have seen Christians as rebellious already because of their lack of participation in these societal practices. And into that context, Peter writes these words. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now when we look at those things, there's, there's four points that we can see in here. I know that goes beyond the typical three-point Baptist sermon, but bear with me. All right. In verses 13 and 14, we see a command of submission. A command for submission. God demands that we as believers submit to our authorities. Be subject, it says. Be subject. That, I don't know why so many English translations um, sugarcoat that. It means submit. Submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now you may be saying, submission, that's kind of one of those words that makes us... It makes my skin crawl. This is not mindless obedience. This is not robotics. This does not mean that there are not exceptions to the rule. Peter would not have condoned them to go and worship at the temples of these emperors. He would not have allowed them to, to subvert God's authority as it's displayed in his word in order to honor them. That's why it says, submit for the Lord's sake. See, see there's already a, a, a caveat here of, it, I'm not submitting for their sake, I'm submitting because of who my God is. I'm submitting because of my, my God's rule, because of God's reign in my life. He asked them to submit to every human institution. There is no human authority to which this command does not extend. That's why, that's why when... Now, most of you probably know this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Because this is a point I think we can all agree on. That's why that when I was a teenager, I got my license. And, and it was, you know, one of those, you know, I don't know why some teenagers wait now. But, you know, it was the day I turned 16. You got your license, right? Freedom, right? Uh, you, you get your license. Turn 16. I go cruise town like one lap, and then it's time to, my dad's got some task for me. So we get in the car, and we're heading from Salem to Rolla. And on the way there, my, dad, my dad's lecturing me about every, everything known to driving. And, and, and as we're driving along, he's lecturing me about how I should be safe and obey the speed limits and sirens come on behind us. 
It's the most ironic and, and momentous moment for a young man's life. Like, he's just, he's, he's lecturing me, and he's getting pulled over for speeding. This is great. <laughs> and so I, I get pulled over, and he tells me about how important it is to obey the officers, to be respectful, to show them honor, to, to, to treat them a certain way. And, and I will never forget that moment, primarily because it's, it's ironic, but secondly, because in that moment, my dad demonstrated something for me about how I should treat authorities, how I should obey them and give them the respect that, that, that is due them because they bear the sword for a reason. They bear the sword to, to protect me and, and, and to serve our community. Now, does that mean that we are to be mindless? I love, I love the fact that we have a great police force here. But does that mean we're to be mindless? No, it doesn't mean it's mindless authority. But it means that we honor them because they're the authorities in our life. They've been placed in that position to exercise authority over us. That's not just with officers. That's with, with governments and municipalities and, 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 and various other authorities. That's with principals and teachers. Can I get an amen? That, that's, that's every authority put over us, we are to give them honor. We are to submit ourselves to the authority put over us. This is not new to Peter. Paul actually elaborates on this in much more uncomfortable terms. And if you would like to be uncomfortable reading them, read Romans 13, 1 through 7, and, and don't try to skip out on anything, and it gets a little uncomfortable. This is not new to Peter. Peter wasn't the only believer that thought this way. Peter writes to the Romans, specifically, about how they are to relate to government. He tells Titus how they are to teach people to relate to government in Titus 3, 1. The idea of Christians behaving a certain way in the realm of authority that's over them is not new. Why does Peter want them to be obedient? Well, because God has placed them there for a particular reason, and he outlines what that place is. Peter shows us what the work of the government should be. The emperor is supreme or to the governors as sent by him. That him refers back to the emperor, not to God, just in case just, it's the most natural um, implication. Sent by the emperor is supreme, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. To punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Now, government in our day and age often has the negative con- connotation of punishing evil, right? That's oftentimes what we think of as authority. But for the Romans, it would have been more than just that. There would have been more than just this punishing evil. They, it would have been common for them to bring people before, before the city, before the uh, municipality, for a lack of better terms. It would, have been, it would have been common for them to bring them before them and honor them as, as special, those who went above and beyond for their, for their community. And he says, these have been put in place for a specific reason. And, and as I said earlier, I don't have time to expound on all of it, but read Romans 13 if, if you want to understand that more specifically. But, but notice that these have a specific place. Does that mean they're without sin? You wake. Does that mean they're without sin? No! 
We can't leave this room without finding sin, right? There's sin in here, much less as we leave the room and go outward. There's going to be sin and corruption. There's going to be praise where no praise is due. There's going to be punishment where no punishment is due. There's going to be fault. But this is the order in which things were set. So Peter's giving them the picture, the command for this, for the Lord's sake. In other words, we don't do it because of the worthiness of those to whom we are to submit. We don't submit because of their worthiness. We submit because of God's worthiness. We don't submit because they have earned some kind of special right. We submit because of who they are as ordained by God. Now, it's easy to obey where people are worthy, right? It's easy to obey where people are worthy. I'll give you two examples of this very quickly. I worked with the most heathen of bosses at UPS. He would cuss me up one side and down the other. But I love that man more than any boss I've ever had in my life. Because you know what? When, the, when push came to shove, he was going to go to bat for me. He was going to protect me. He was going to serve me. He was going to help me in any way that I could. It was easy for me to serve him because I knew that no matter what I did, he was going to defend my cause. On the flip side... I worked for the Christian bookstore once, and um, um, uh, Satan was the manager, and um, <laughs> it, it was very difficult. It was very difficult. I, I, I was written up for sharing the gospel with customers uh, at a Christian bookstore, and, and, and you know, it was, just this, it was just this horrible time of being of being chided and, and for, for the most ridiculous of things and, and, and nitpicked. And, and it was hard to submit. It was hard. One was easy. The other one was hard. But you know what? In both cases, I was still commanded. In both cases, I could not remove the command to submit. That's why Peter is bringing this up, because more often than not, it's hard. More often than not, it's difficult to live when people don't respond to you. How do you respond to those in authority over you? How do you respond to teachers and principals? How do you respond to police officers and government officials? How do you respond to them? I think Paul would call us to pray for them. He would call us to respond to them in submission. Peter would call us to respond to them in submission, and Paul would heap upon that to pray for them. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, he says, First of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is what Peter wanted them to be seen as. Peter wanted them to be seen as the utmost of citizens. Uh, One author calls it evangelical citizenship. He he wanted them to be evangelizing through the way that they lived with those who were in authority over them. 
But when we consider the unworthiness of those who hold this office, we may be tempted to ask the question, why does God demand this of us? And he does not leave us alone. That's why he answers us in verse 15. Peter answers the question by saying we submit because of God's authority. That's the purpose. I've heard many of people say, I just wish I knew God's will for my life. How many of you have heard somebody say that before? We, we hear it all the time. Peter tells us God's will for our life. He says, for this is the will of God. Now, I don't know how you get more plain than that. We, we, we maybe, maybe there's more nuances to what that looks like in each of our lives, but Notice what it says here. For this is the will of God. Submitting to our authorities is the will of God. Submitting to those who are above us is God's will for our lives. Children submitting to their parents. Uh, people submitting to their bosses. Uh, us submitting to our authorities and, and officers in government. Submitting is God's will for our lives. That, by doing good... You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The purpose here is that by doing good, they may put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, for most of us, we, we want to think that doing good is just being obedient. We, we want to just, it's going to stop at, okay, I'm just going to obey my boss. I'm just going to obey the police officer. I'll try driving the speed limit for today. That, that's where we want to stop. But which of you, by doing the normal, gets noticed? Notice what he wants to happen. He wants their goodwill, their doing good, to be stopping, to be silencing, to be muzzling, if you will, the ignorance of foolish people. The accusations that would have been spoken against them, the, the, the accusations that would have been spoken down on them by those who are in authority, they want those to be stopped because they're doing so much good for the society that's around them. This is more than privately obeying the laws. Rather, this is standing out and doing good for those who are in authority and doing good for the community. I've mentioned this before. Peter oftentimes refers to the people of Israel in exile. And in Jeremiah 29, when they are in exile, Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is his instruction for his people. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So far he's saying just live a normal life, right? Just live. Live the way that you should. Verse 7 it says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. God was not satisfied with his people while they were in exile. He was not satisfied with them merely doing the normal everyday life. He wanted them to seek the welfare of the city to which they were in. Now that's hard, isn't it? 
I mean, they would have been slaves, more likely, in this, uh, in this city. To some degree or another, they would have been serving the government and everything they did. And he wants them to promote, to, to seek the goodness for these people that are above them. Is there a story that you remember like that? I don't know, maybe Joseph. In which while he's in prison, he's helping organize the prisoners. He's in prison, helping organize the prisoners. He's in prison for something he didn't even do. Helping organize them and and helping them out and, and giving them their instructions in order. He comes out of prison and seeks the welfare of those who put him there. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to seek the welfare of this community. Why? That we should silence the ignorance of foolish people. Literally, the word is to muzzle. Stop the mouth. I mean, that's kind of an interesting way of doing it, right? Just, if you've got a dog that's always barking, right, and you put a muzzle in its mouth, it kind of dampers things. Just stop it. Muzzle its mouth. Why? Why can they not speak against it? Because they're doing so much good. It's hard to speak against those who are seeking your welfare. It, it's, it's hard. I, me and Aaron, we could be mad at each other all day long. But if, but if he's always seeking my welfare, how am I going to talk against that? How, how am I going to say anything against that? Peter wanted them to have a certain kind of life. Now, when we read ignorance of foolish people... Many of you probably want to insert disrespect, right? It's the natural inclination, because when we say ignorance, but somebody's ignorant in our society, normally we mean that derogatory, right? When we say somebody is foolish, we often mean that as derogatory. Here, Peter is merely, he's using the terms of the Old Testament for those who don't believe. He's wanting to stop the mouths of those who don't believe. They have nothing to say against them. Uh, uh, Proverbs 1.7 is a perfect example. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools are those who just merely don't want to obey. They don't want to admit the truth. He's saying, let's stop those who are trying to speak against the truth. So let me ask you, how have you sought the good of those who are over you? How often do you pray for and send letters of encouragement and personally seek to promote the praiseworthiness of the good deeds that we see in those above us? I'm not saying condoning evil. I'm saying promoting goodness, praiseworthiness. Let's take it closer to home. How often have you sought the good of this community? In a small town like Kabul, a group of individuals our size can make a huge difference. Huge difference. I mean, we, we, we're a significant percentage of the community. We can make a, a big difference merely by beginning with praying for the welfare of the city. Praying that we would see it grow, that we would see it um, thrive, that we would see 
uh, law-abiding citizens, that we would see the people who are hurting no longer suffer, that we would see the schools succeed, that we would see that these people here have a life which brings honor and glory to God. Are we praying for our community? Are we a part of it? That's the purpose. But what does it look like? What does the character of the individual look like who's submitting? Because Peter calls us to submit in a particular way. He says in verse 16, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Live as people who are free. Now, he says live as people who are free. Um, they're already free, right? That was, that was what we learned in verses 18 through 19, knowing that you are ransomed from your futile ways, right? They, they already have freedom in Christ. This is not talking about their imprisonment. They're exiles. They're not free in that sense. This is talking about live as people who are free from sin. Live as people who are free, who don't have to sin, who don't have to slander and gossip, who don't have to cut down and mock. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Now, how would we use our freedom from sin to cover up our evil? How, How would we do that? Well, we would say, I don't have to obey them because my God's bigger than yours. I don't have to obey them. I can be rebellious. I can be dissentious. I can, I, can be, I can mock. I can make fun of because my God is bigger than yours. Paul warns against this in Galatians. Right before the fruit of the Spirit, he gives the, this, the command to not use their freedom to bite and devour one another lest they be consumed. Because he knows that they'll use their freedom to excuse all kinds of things. I'm not bound to do what you ask me to do. He's saying, don't use your freedom as a, as a disguise, as a way to cover up your evil. We, we disguise our sin all the time, right? It's called justifying, excusing, right? Well, I can be mean to them because they were mean to me. I can ignore them because they ignored me. I can chide them because they chided me. He's saying, don't use your freedom in that way. Rather, live as servants of God. Literally, live as God's slaves. Now, you're like, wait a minute, I thought we were free. I thought you and I were free. We're free from the powers of this world because we have an eternal home. That's what Peter's been preaching. That's what Peter's been talking about. But Peter is recognizing that you and I are going to be slaves to something. We are going to be slaves to something, either to God or to our sin. That's why Romans six fifteen and following says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. For you do not know that if you are present yourselves to anyone as obedient, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become 
obedient from the heart to a standard of teaching to which you are committed. And you have been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. You see, we can always put things in the wrong order. That's why Peter goes on in verse 17 to talk about the spheres of Christian living. In verse 17, he says, he he shoots off these rapid-fire commands. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You see, you and I can put things in order in which, you know what, as long as I'm fearing God, I don't have to honor those in authority over me. As long as I'm loving the brotherhood, I don't have to love everyone else. We can put things in the wrong order. We can can begin to draw wrong conclusions and have the wrong kinds of things to say. And so when we look at this and see these general exhortations, one commentator says, the statement is a comprehensive reference to all contexts in which a Christian lives. Social, ecclesiastical, spiritual, political. Christians live well by giving each type of relationship its due. Christians live well by giving each type of relationship its due. That means that as I relate to you, I give you the due that God tells me to, which is love one another. As I relate to those in authority over me, I give them what is due to them by submitting myself to them and honoring them. So he gives these four rapid-fire commands in which we are to live. He says, honor everyone. Why am I to honor everyone? Because everyone is made in the image of God. So whether they're believers or not, I give them honor because they're made in God's image. That's why James 3, 9 through 10 says, With it, that is our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. Amen, right? With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people made in His likeness. From the same mouth come blessings and cursing. My brother, these things ought not be so. We give honor to everyone because everyone is made in Christ's likeness. Not just to those who hold special authority, but to everyone. We love the brotherhood. Why? Because Jesus says they will know you by your love, they will know you are mine by your love for one another. There's a specific kind of relationship. We fear God. Why? Because we are told that while we are living, we should conduct ourselves with fear throughout our time of exile, Peter says. We honor the emperor. Why? Because God commands us to. We can't overemphasize one aspect over another. You and I both know it's difficult to balance relationships. Amen? It's difficult. I mean, I, I know some of you men, I, I, I see you and I, and, I, and I am just in awe of the multiplicity of jobs or the, the, the enormous amounts of hours that you work in order to provide for your family and care for them. It's hard to, to balance work with, with family, with church, 
with authorities. It's hard, but Peter here says that we give each relationship its due, and we cannot undercut one because of the other. It's the tightrope that we walk in this life. So as we examine these things and think through these things and see that we are to submit and see our purpose for submitting and what that character looks like, we have to ask ourselves, how are we relating to the authorities above us? How are you and I relating to the authorities above us? So I'm going to give you these three words to think through and evaluate the authorities that are above you. Number one, your aim. As you think about whoever it is, your authorities that are above you, think about these three things. Your aim. Do you want to see their good? Do you want to see their welfare? Do you want to see them succeed? As we think about just our own city, do you want to see the city succeed? Do you want to see the state succeed? Do do we want to see those in authority over us succeed? Is our aim in the right place? Attitude. Does your attitude toward those who are in authority communicate honor and respect? As you think about those who are your authority, do you communicate honor and respect? That does not mean they deserve it. But you know what? None of us in here deserve each other's loves, and God still commands that of us, too. It doesn't mean they deserve it, but our attitude should be one of honor and respect. Actions. So our aim, our attitude, and our actions. What are your actions like in comparison to this passage? What are your actions like in comparison to this passage? You know what? As citizens of this country, we just celebrated the lives that were and memorialized, the lives that were shed on our behalf. That's what Memorial Day was about, right? We, we, we memorialized them. But we should also take actions to promote the welfare of our country. And one of those actions is found in your bulletin insert. It's through... It, it's through voting. Now, this isn't something we see in the New Testament because there was no such thing as democracy. But you know what? As citizens, we are given, as citizens of this country, we are given the privilege to promote the welfare of this country through voting. Now, I know I'm, I'm stepping on toes. I'm just doing it because it's what's next in the passage, okay? So don't, don't, you're all giving me angry faces. I'm just, it's just what's next. I'm just telling you what it says. One of the ways that we can do this is merely through expressing our own voice. What, what Peter's people would not have given for the opportunity to express their concerns. So voting, that's one way that we can do it. Another way is prayer. Pray for our country. Pray for our military. Now, I know this is a, a, a few days late, but it's not too, never too late to pray for them. One of the things that the Missouri Baptist Convention that we support, uh, one of the things that they do through the cooperative program is commission and support financially and send chaplains. So why not take time to pray for the chaplains, which are in a, in, in a very real way, uh, they are authorities, spiritual authorities, in our armed forces. 
Why not tend, spend time praying for them? That's one way that we can do I'm just, I'm just giving you as practical as I can ways that you can promote and support those in authority over us. You can probably think of a multitude of other ways. But I want to end with this, and, and I know it's uncomfortable to talk about these things. But I want to end with this. As you look at this passage, notice that Peter's point is not a political agenda. That's not mine either. Peter's point is not to promote a certain kind of government or a certain kind of legislation or a certain kind of... Peter's point in all of this is that God may be glorified as people see their good deeds. Peter's point in all of this is that they might come to know Jesus as he as he confronts their hearts. Peter's point in this, and our point as we think about all of these things, no matter where we end on on hot-button issues, the point of all of this is, are we living in such a way with those who are in authority over us that they might honor God because of what they see in us? That, That is the point. And some of you, if you're visiting with us today probably thinking, I am never going to come back here again because this guy, he's just, he's just talking about the thing that Peter wants, the thing that I want, is for you to understand that our deepest concern is not our preferences. Our deepest concern is that God be glorified in our midst, even when it's in difficult things like politics. Whatever it is, is God being glorified in our midst? One of the ways that God was glorified this week was the fact that we promoted the welfare of this city by feeding hungry children. Our church is trying to do it. This is not, I'm not looking down my nose at you. I'm saying these are the things we need to consider. And you know what? This week, we were able to do that. A full meal for 63 kids. Multiple days a week that they're not going to get in school. Or that they may only get in school. And that was because of work of, by people done here. We want to see the city succeed. But most of all, we want to see God glorified through our actions and wherever we're at. So with that in mind, let me pray for us.